you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Good morning, church. Well, we'll be talking about suffering today. I don't know who likes to be suffered or who likes to be suffer- to be in a, some suffering situation, but suffering is never pleasant as it relates to our lives. Never pleasant. A doctor to a patient. I have bad news and worse news. Patient, so let's have it. The doctor, the bad news is that you only have 24 hours to live. The patient, I can't imagine what could be worse than that. Doctor, I forgot to tell you yesterday. Today, we'll be looking at another dimension of suffering. That the church faces. And it has to do with the proclamation of the gospel. It happens in the homes, among family members, and the people you rub shoulders with. Jesus said in Luke 12, For now on, in one house there will be five divided. Three against two, and two against three. In your case, it would be one. Outside the home, Jesus said to his disciples, I'm sending you a sheep among wolves. The gospel, being good news as it is, it's a divided message as well. But the truth has to be told with the effort of love, respect, and kindness. We have to make effort to share the gospel that way because it can get pretty testy at times. Now because of love, it's better to risk a level of division than to hold back the truth knowing the consequence that comes with the rejection of the Savior. Someone asked C.S. Lewis, why do the righteous suffer? Why not? He replied, they're the ones who can take it. I hope each one of us can take it. If not after today, I hope you can take it. The early church suffered enormously and still believers today. From the inception of the birth of the church and its proclamation, the church has always faced opposition from the religious and the secular world. From the religious sect in his day, Jesus said, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. There's a lot of religious people around and a lot of religions. They're sincere, but they're without God. For the same reason, 
because of rejecting Jesus Christ. And when it comes to the world, with no spiritual interest, Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were in the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my words, they will also keep yours. Here we see Jesus gives, up, gives us a heads up what to experience in regards to the gospel with rejectors and believers. He's up front. He's telling his disciples this. And that's the word for us today as well. So how are you handling the suffering when people shun you? When people keep away from you? When you're overlooked? How do you handle that? Even when you're mischaracterized for the gospel. As you live your life in school, in that job site, wherever you are. In the colleges, in the university. How are you handling it? It will happen. Why the dislike for the gospel? The gospel message calls out false righteousness. The gospel message exposes human wickedness. The gospel message heralds God's judgment. And in defiance, attacks will come to the bearers of those messages. Opposed to God and his word, they will oppose the announcers of the message. It is difficult for Christians in most of the Western world to comprehend and understand the suffering that Christians are experiencing for their faith. Generally speaking, we are not faced with keeping a student out of a particular school or a worker from getting a job or losing a job or overlooked for a promotion and being ostracized and marginalized. We don't experience that too much here. If you are, there's a few exceptions, but not too much. Family members beaten, raped, living accommodation confiscated, imprisoned, and even martyred because of their faith. Behind the roadblocks, hardships, and the suffering done by human opponents who opposes the gospel message stand demonic powers. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Yes, believers, you and I are in for a battle. And Jesus foretold his disciples. I'm sending you a sheep among wolves. The apostle Paul is in prison. Not from any illness or disease, but for preaching the gospel to the lost. 
sitting in a cold prison, cut off from the world, with an occasional visitor and a writing pad in his cell, writing as he faced imminent execution. Knowing he'll be soon suffer martyrdom, he wrote from his cell appealing to his protege, the young leader he left in charge of the church at Ephesus, and said to him, Timothy, be strong in the grace. That is the strength that is in Jesus Christ. Timothy, be strong in the grace of Christ. The apostles encouraging him, urging him, as he referred back to his spiritual heritage. In chapter 1-5, he said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. I am persuaded of the faith that lives in you. That faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm now sure that it dwells in you as well. Church, and the parents of young families, Timothy's spiritual life began in the home. That's where it began. And he wrote in chapter 2, 1 to 2, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others. You then, my child, be strengthened. In other words, don't be like those who profess faith and then bailed out on me. And you refer that back to in, in chapter 1, verse 15. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, included Pergolus and Hermogenes. You bailed out on him when the pressure hits. They are quite... A number who profess faith and are abandoned their faith, pastors and laymen included. A seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only for a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Why did the Apostle Paul call on young Timothy? The young man he mentored while he was waiting persecution or debt, I should say, in his cell. It is quite obvious from what he wrote. To proclaim the gospel message. That, and he gave the reason why. Back again in chapter 1 verse 9, he says, Jesus saved us and called us to a holy calling. And with the calling comes suffering. But he added something, but not without returns. That's the whole gospel message right there. Jesus saved us and called us to a holy calling. And with that calling comes suffering, but not without returns. Christ Jesus destroyed death, Timothy, 
Christ Jesus destroyed death. When the believer dies, they only change location. Jesus destroys death. Preach that, Timothy, with the power of God. Preach it. Which is why I suffer as I do in this cell. And don't be ashamed about it. He said, but for you, Timothy, and all those who will come to do the same, us, don't be ashamed. It's a shameful place to be in prison in any culture. It's not something someone wants to hear. It's an embarrassing thing. But for you, Timothy, and all those who will come to do the same, don't be ashamed. For I know I have believed, for I know whom I believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard until the day that has been entrusted to me. Yes, the power of God is with you in the suffering until death. Paul is saying that to Timothy because he faces the same problem. Now later in chapter 4, going on to verse 6, he said, Timothy, for I'm already poured out like a drink offering and the time has come for my departure. He knows he'll be killed. And so he called on his young protege. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. There's a good deposit entrusted to those who are believers in this auditorium right now. And Paul is saying to his protege, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. The apostle is calling on Timothy to be the link in the relay, proclaiming the gospel message and holding on to some teaching with faith, love, and hope. No doubt, young Timothy was experiencing opposition in the ministry in Ephesus, where the Apostle Paul, during his fourth missionary journey, instructed him to care for the church. And facing mountain persecution, Timothy had pulled back. And who wouldn't when you know the situation? His fears took him over. His fears were based on believers being arrested and executed. Even his mentor, Paul, is in prison and about to be executed. So he pulled back. Timothy was facing a time of spiritual difficulty. Any kind of fear will invite weakness. Any kind. And as the Apostle Paul realized that his son in the faith needed some encouragement, he urged him. He said, Timothy, rekindle afresh the gift of God, which I know it's in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying of my hands. 
Timothy, God's power is in it. It's a holy life and a holy calling. People's eternal lives are in danger of going to hell without the gospel. That is the gospel, folks. People are in danger going to hell. You don't like to talk about hell. It's not a loving thing to do. But Jesus talks about hell a lot. That is why he came to die on the cross. And if some of you in this auditorium today does not, do not know Jesus Christ, you are in deep trouble. And nobody's going to force your hand to receive the Savior. But it's something to think about and reflect on. Because that day of judgment is coming. For God so loved you that he said his only begotten son. So the apostle Paul realized his son in the faith needed some encouragement. Urged him to rekindle afresh the gift of God which was in him. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying of my hands. There are many who profess faith at one time in their life and have drifted away. If you belong to such a group and you're down, you defected, you used to talk about God and at present you are at a distance from God and the local body of the church. You are hurting, you have pain. You have disappointed yourself and others have disappointed you. The scripture encourages you to get back on track. God always holds his hands out. Jesus always holds his hands out waiting for you to get back on track. Give the Lord the opportunity to use your abilities and spiritual gifts that he gave you to walk with him and to serve him. There's one thing you need to do if you're in that stage. You need to repent and ask the Lord to forgive you and get back on track. The glow is still there if you're a believer. The glow is still there and you yourself can see it. You still have the spiritual heartbeat, but you have to fan that glow into flame. You need to reflect, you need to reconnect, and you need to recommit your life. As the Apostle Paul called on Timothy to fan that glow into flame and follow his holy calling and using his gifts with boldness, it will do well for us to adhere to such a reminder as well. It will do us well. In verses 2 to 6, Paul presents key elements for the ministry in order for anyone or the church to be strong. The first key element is that of teaching and preaching. And with that linked three metaphors. That of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. Living a life for Jesus and to proclaim the gospel message does bring suffering at some level. 
And if the word of God is not planted and grounded in the believer's life, they were not able to endure. You'll drift and may you become an apostate. You're going to run if you're not able to endure. When the word of God is absent or the word of God is softened, believers suffer spiritual famine. Many believers are spiritually unnourished and undernourished and are in a state of spiritually malnutrition and consequently spiritually undeveloped to handle life. And especially when it comes to face the suffering for the gospel. You won't be able to handle it if the word of God is not planted and take root in your lives. Paul is calling on to Timothy and the pastors and teachers today in churches to edify their congregation. The word must take root in individual lives first before the church body is to be strong. When one suffers in, in a church, the whole church suffers. Not minimizing emotions, pains, hurts, fatigue, disappointments that comes in life. Those things are real. We face them. We're not going to minimize them. But the question when asked, why do the Christians suffer? The reply was, why not? They're the ones, they're the only ones who can take it. But how? Is the follow-up question. Only if they are grounded in the word, they will be able to endure. Be it at the school, in the colleges, in the universities, the work site, and the social hangouts. If you're not well grounded, you will not be able to endure what's coming. Because the world is in defiance of the gospel. The Apostle Paul called on Timothy to teach and preach, to exhort and urge through the word of God. And in verse 2 he said to Timothy, And the things you have heard, you have heard from me, say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. That's the key for the church. We are thankful. We are thankful for the serious teaching ministries here at the church. And the opportunities given to be trained in teaching the word of God in all of its ministries. We are thankful for that. The torch must be passed on. It's a relay. And so we are ever reminded... When it comes to the seriousness of the word of God and his teaching, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. What goes for Timothy goes for us as well. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us.
God does not call every believer to be a teacher, preacher. But we are called a priesthood of believers. Each one of us. We are called a priesthood of believers. Wherever we are located. Doesn't have to be in the church only. Wherever you are located. When you go out of this building. If the church is strong. It's because the word of God is strong in the believers lives. Parents. Sunday school teachers. And youth leaders are all responsible. To the best of their ability. To pass on God's word to those under their care. The world entices in subtle ways to draw our children and young people away, offering temporary gratification. And it has consequence. We don't choose the consequence, but the consequence comes. And every Christian has a responsibility for a brother or a sister in Christ whom he or she has opportunity to minister and disciple from the word of God. Each one. Guard that which was deposited to us. In handling the word of God, that will impact our lives and proclaim the gospel message calls for self-discipline as a soldier in an army would. And in verse 3, Paul said, Join me, join me, Timothy. Share with me in the suffering as a good soldier. A soldier will have to follow the rules he has enlisted in. No soldiers get entangled in civilian affairs or pursuits. Since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him, he's totally committed to his commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. The one who enlisted him to proclaim the gospel. He keeps his eyes focused on his calling and not on the things that will divide his interest and weaken his ministry. He has his priorities straight. Apostle Paul is not asking Timothy to do anything he himself wasn't doing. That is why he's in prison. I'm not telling you how to go preach to, just to get into prison, okay? But go if you want. That's okay. We'll pray for you. The first mark of a good soldier in Christ is the willingness to suffer hardship in their calling. You see, it's a good thing. We have heaven. We're going somewhere. But this, this heaven, as we proclaim the gospel, has some suffering. You suffer with your life personally to, be whole, to, to live a holy life. And also you suffer when you proclaim the gospel. There's a whole bunch of suffering. A dedicated minister requires spiritual endurance. And he said in verse 7 chapter 1, For the spirit 
God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And so are all believers who sets out to be spiritual soldiers. The battle requires spiritual endurance. That is in Christ Jesus, not in yourself. Not in any book, but in Christ Jesus. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You're in for a battle. But God wants us to testify, each one of us, about his grace that is in Christ Jesus. He saved us for a reason. Therefore, we need to be disciplined in wearing the soldier whole armor daily. For we are living in Satan's world, messing with the people he has blinded and has a hold on. Yes, that's what we do when you proclaim the gospel. You're, you're messing with Satan's territory. You think you're going to stand back and smile? He's coming. And as I told someone last evening, he can come. But well, my Jesus is stronger. Therefore, the word of God calls on believers to put on the full armor of God that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of God's people. The next metaphor is that of an athlete is that of an athlete an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules an athlete is trained in self-discipline his struggle requires great determination and persistence to win even the most gifted athlete, bringing the most effort to the struggle, does not win the prize unless he competes, unless he or she competes according to the rules. Again, that is the one of the reason many pastors and ministry leaders drop out of ministry. A disciplined believer has self-control over his affections, his emotions, his priorities, and his objectives. Discipline, 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 discipline. The Christian life is about discipline. If you cannot discipline yourself, you'll fall apart. You won't be able to endure the life that God has called you to, be a, to testify about. And in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, 25, Paul said, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one received the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control not to run aimlessly. They have a goal in mind. 
I do not box as one beating the air, Paul said, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Believers are called to be disciplined out of gratitude of their Savior and more so as a teacher-preacher of the Word of God. And the final metaphor that he uses is that of a farmer. In verse 6, it is a hard-working farmer who have the first share of the crops. In the early times, the farm laborers often were paid with a portion of the crop they helped to plant, cultivate, and harvest. The farmer is a hard-working disciple in the ministry to save souls. The industrious farmer starts his day hard with demanding work and starts early and quits late. He endures the suffering cold, the heat, the rain, and the drought. He plows the soil, whether it's hard or loose. He does not wait for his own convenience because the season does not wait for him. When the time comes to plant, he must plant. When the weeds appear, he must remove them. And when the crop is mature, he must tend to them. What drives the farmer of such hard toil? Is the harvest. Is the harvest. The Apostle Paul is saying to his young protege, Timothy, that the suffering he endured in the ministry is his holy calling. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That's it. That is why he's telling Timothy, go Timothy. That's why he's telling all of us, go tell about the gospel. People's lives are at stake. Is hell or heaven one of the two? I've come to a part in my life now. I don't have to be too nice. Too much going on in the world. Too much garbage. So suffering for the gospel message comes with a harvest of souls for God into the kingdom with a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we'll also live with him. Isn't that great? Timothy, go. Guard the deposit. Proclaim the gospel. Even if you suffer, even to death, there's something coming. If we died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we also reign with him. You see what's coming? The point is, live for Christ. There are rewards coming. Yes, Timothy, and to the church. Suffering in Christ leads to a harvest of souls and reign with Jesus in his coming kingdom. 
Believers in faith have nothing to fear. Even when you suffer martyrdom. To that point. Rejoice. For your names are written in heaven. That's what Jesus said. In conclusion. In verse 7. Paul said to Timothy. Think over what I'm saying Timothy. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. As believers. We have to ponder as well. When we look at our lives, am I grounded in the word? Am I a disciplined child of God? Am I open to share the gospel message? Am I willing to suffer for the gospel message? If the answer is yes, you are promised that the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Amen.